my worst enemy The flesh that's covering me Brings me down to my knees Welcome to Sermons in the Park a ministry exploring biblical truth from the Word of God, focusing on the truths that help us in our daily walk with Christ in every aspect of our lives. Now, here is your Reverend, Jamie McCaskill. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all-new Sermons in the Park podcast exclusive episode. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. I want to take this time once again just to say thank you for joining me here. It's always a pleasure to be able to do one of these with you each and every week. Um, <clears throat> this is being recorded uh, during the layoff for the UAW, so uh, I'm currently um, not. I'm currently unemployed, seeking unemployment. But until then, I have a pay, uh, a GoFundMe up for if you're able and willing to help me with my bills and things like that. Uh, you can go donate. Because, you know, I, I, it's not just me. My wife's uh, disabled. She has uh, kidney failure. She's blind. She has trouble getting around. I'm helping her. I always have to help her with that. And we also have two teenage sons. So <clears throat> any help that you can give is greatly appreciated. This isn't something that's easy for me to even ask or anything like that. So please, if you're able uh, to help, please do. Um so yeah, let's get to the point today. Uh, you've seen the title of the of the episode, so you know what this is about. And now, uh, I will ask you to do this before you continue on past this point. Uh, would you, if you would, go back and listen to the previous one that I did on Mormonism? Um, <clears throat> because you see, in that one, I gave a brief, just a brief overview of the belief of the Mormons. You know that that though. They're called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or LDS. Um, that one, I believe I named nine things that you should know about Mormonism. In that one, um, I tried to st- you know, stick only to talking about what they believe and not trying to come off as too rough to, towards them. Because in that one, um, you'll also notice that I used their own sources, uh, and I did that to tell you what they really believe. Uh, that way, if you were to go and ask a Mormon, they would tell you the same thing that I was telling you. Now, in this one, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to stick to the, the, those sources, their own sources. But the only difference is this time, what I'm going to do is tell you why those uh, beliefs are wrong. And I'm going to do it using the Bible. Since this one is, of course, uh, covering why those beliefs are wrong, uh, if you listen to that previous one, you're going to notice that there are some things that we're going to cover that are the same subject as last time. And now I, I want to make sure you understand that is on purpose. Okay? So let's just dive right on in and get started. Um We'll start with uh, their belief on apostasy and restoration. Because just like we discussed last time, they claim that after the time of the apostles, there was this what they call total apostasy that came over the church. Now, when the LDS church was founded uh, in about 1830, they say that it was the restored church church but there's a problem with that you see because for that to be true we would be able to look through history and find evidence of these so-called mormon doctrines you know things like plural gods okay also you know god the father once being a man but guess what there is no evidence of this in fact the bible itself uh goes completely against total apostasy in the church. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It says, And I say unto, also unto thee that thou art Peter, 
and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then when you go over to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, you read this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And then if we go even further, well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Unto him by glory in the church of, by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, and let's, let's stay in Ephesians this time. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And there we read, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the teaching of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about what every, with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in what to deceive. But seek, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. No, you see, instead what we're seeing here is the Bible, the Bible is warning us about a partial apostasy. Okay, look right over here at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in later times some, you see that word, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So no, there is no total apostasy. The Bible is warning us about a partial apostasy. But the Mormon church teaches that after the, the, the apostles, there was this total apostasy. There's no proof of this. There's no proof of their doctrine or anything. Now, let's look at what the Mormons teach us about God himself. How about that? Now, last time we talked about this, okay, but we're going to touch on it again. The Mormons claim that God the Father was once a man like you or me, that he was able to, to progress to become God. Well, let's correct myself, not God, but a God. I didn't go into a lot of detail about this, but what they believe is that God the Father, who is now, you know, uh, now God, was a man, and he's now exalted to becoming God, a, and, a, and a, a, basically an immortal man, but still a flesh and blood man. But the Bible makes it clear that this is not true. God is not and never was a man. Look over at Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. What does it say? Read it. God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of a man, that he should repent. Hath he said, or shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Right? Was the, right at the beginning. God is not a man. Now, then we have what we see in Hosea chapter 11, verse 9. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy a frame, for I am God, and what? Not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. Now the Bible again, this, he made, the Bible makes this clear several times. It, it, it also tells us that God is a spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, since God is a spirit, what's that mean? That he does not have flesh and bone. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Another thing we need to bear in mind this. God's eternal, okay? Psalms chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, and ever though ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. See that? From everlasting to everlasting. Now let's look over at Psalms chapter 102, verse 27. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no ends. Now let's go from there. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwelt in the, the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now next we can go over to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, we need to remember this, okay, because God is unchangeable. You know, God is unchangeable. The Bible makes that clear. Let's look at Psalms again. We're going to look at Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Okay, now let, let, let's, let's also go over and look at Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord... I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You see, after all of these verses, what do we see? We see that God did not progress to become God. No, it's very clear. God is God. God was God. God always will be God. All right? There was no God before him. There was no God after him. God always was God. A lot of people will go on and on about Mormons believe in one God, but let's, they, they, like, they like to tell me I'm wrong. But let's look at how they practice, okay? Let's look at polytheism because it's clear when you look at what Mormons believe, they believe that the Trinity is not three persons as one God. No, they believe that they are all three distinct gods. Not only that, but they believe, like I just told you, that everyone has the potential to become a God. Don't you see the issue there? Because the Bible makes it clear that trusting in or worshiping more than one God is condemned Look at look at this look at some verses here like we've been doing. We're going to just continue to look at the Bible to show how they're wrong. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Bible also makes it perfectly clear that there is only one true God. I have a lot of verses on this. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightst know that the Lord he is God. There is none else beside him. Deuteronomy 4.39. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, neither shall there be after me. 
Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Okay? Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from this time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is none else. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Do you see what I'm saying here? Let's just keep going, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. James chapter 2 verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devil also believe and tremble. You see, the Bible makes it so clear that there's only one God. The Bible also makes it clear that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, you notice that? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Not names with an S, not plural, singular, one. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then go look over at Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Three in one. Not three distinct, three in one. Now we spoke earlier of their belief in exaltation of humans. So let's look at that a little bit more. Because the LDS Church teaches that all of us, all of us humans, that we're just like the Father, okay, and that we can progress and become exalted. We can become a God. That's what they teach. But when you read the Bible, and we don't even have to really go much further than Genesis. But we're going to look at more. But we're going to look at Genesis. Because in there we can see that it was, that it was the fact that mankind yearned to be like God that caused us to fall. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, it was that fact right there that we wanted that mankind wanted to be like God that caused the fall. You know, God does not like, or, or I should say, God does not look kindly on. Okay, people that pretend to become a god. Let's look over at Acts chapter 12, verses 21 to 23. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto him, unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of a man. Immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not glory to God, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Now let's put that in contrast. Let's put that in contrast. Let's put that in contrast with another section here. Let's look at Acts chapter fourteen, verse eleven to fifteen. And when the people saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lysonia, meaning in their, in their language, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of man, and they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mer Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Jupiter 
which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates, and would have done sacrifices with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothing and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye such things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye shall turn from the vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. You see, God wants us to remain humble. He wants us to recognize that we are his creations, okay? Now let's look over at something else. Let's look at Genesis again. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their names Adam, which means man, in the day when they were created. Now let's look now let's go over to Psalm. Psalm chapter 95 verses 6 and 7. O come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if ye will hear his voice. Okay? Now let's standing staying in Psalms. Let's look at Psalm chapter 100 verse 3. Know ye that the Lord is God, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are, the, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, our true state, when we are redeemed in, in eternity, that will, be, that, that will be a glorious immortality. But we, still, we will still be the, a creation of God. We will be adopted as his children. Okay, but we're still one of his creatures. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 30 tells us this. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness to our with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children... We're then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with our, within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope? What do, I'm sorry. Yeah, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we we see not, then do we have patience. Wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we shall pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth in the mind, well, I'm sorry, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For when he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when he did predestine, then he also called and would he call and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified then he also 
glorified. You see, and then let's let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 42 to 47. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterwards, that which is spiritual, the first man is on earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as is the earthy. Since are, I'm sorry, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such as they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump from the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks to be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelations chapter 21 verses 3 to 7. And I, have, and I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne shall behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto, the, unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Doesn't this all make it very clear, guys, that we will never become a god? Okay? Never. We can't because we're humans. Now let's talk about what they believe about Jesus. Because the LDS Church teaches us that Jesus was the firstborn, what? Spiritual son of the Heavenly Father. Not only that, but a Heavenly Mother as well. They teach that Jesus became a deity in the spiritual world. And somehow um, he was, you know, physically conceived in Mary's womb, right? As the literal, what they, you know, the literal only begotten son. You'll find that Mormonism teaches, okay? Uh, well, let me correct myself. Not what they teach. But you, what you're going to find is that Mormons, when they speak of um, Jesus, that they will speak that. <sighs> Let me correct myself here because I'm I'm, conf I'm I'm confusing even my own words as they come out of my mouth. <laughs> but what you'll find if you speak to a Mormon is that they'll be very they'll be very vague on how all this happened. The Bible, though, when it describes Jesus as being the only begotten Son, that it actually you know it refers to Him being the Father's unique and only Son. Okay. With the same divine nature as the Father. Look at John chapter one verse fourteen. 
And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, it wasn't a spiritual son. It was the only begotten son. The only one. John chapter 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John three sixteen. One that everybody knows, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Go down two verses to verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Staying in John chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because what? He not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Do you see that? John chapter 10, verse 30. I and my Father are one. We see that he's eternal, right? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 8, verses, John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. He's, uh, Jesus is unchangeable. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old, as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. This all tells us that Jesus never changed. He did not become a deity as the Latter-day Saints would say. He was, he is, and he always will be God. Not only that, but we see in the Bible that Jesus's conception into uh, humanity was through a miracle that was brought on by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But while he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, well, I've got your mind on that. Um, let's look at what they believe in these um, three kingdoms. Now, this one here, these, these three kingdoms of glory, um, that was a belief by the Mormons that I probably revealed <laughs> to most of you for the first time in that last video. Because I, I bet many of you did never hear about that. Because this belief that most people will end up in one of three kingdoms, depending on their level of faithfulness, When you look at it, this belief is that Jesus is not necessary to attain immortality. That only the worst of the worst will go to hell. That's what they believe. But you see, this is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that there are two possibilities. The saved will go on to enjoy eternity with God in heaven that's what it teaches us philippians chapter 3 verse 20 for our conversation is in heaven for whence also we look for the savior the lord jesus christ revelations chapter 20 verse <laughs> revelations chapter 21 verses 1 to 4 says and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and i john saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming up, coming down, I'm sorry, from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, tabernacle of God is with men. 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And then when you go over to Revelations again, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in, the, be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And, this shall see, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they, need, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Okay? That's what awaits you if you're saved. That is one option. And then there's the other option, the unsaved. This is, that's, that's the two places, okay? Because the saved go on to be in glory with God, like we just described, and the unsaved, well, they will spend eternity in hell. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then a few verses later, in verse 46, we read, and there shall go away, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And then when we go into Revelations chapter 20, verses 13 to 15, we read, And the same gave up the dead, I'm sorry, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire to the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those are your two choices, people. That, that's all that await us. Heaven or hell. There is no three kingdoms. Okay? There's only two. Heaven or hell. That's your choice. Speaking of that, though, Let's look at what the Mormons believe on sin and atonement, shall we? Because I said this last time, but it bears repeating. The Mormons believe that Adam's transgression, you know, when he sinned, that that was a noble act. That this made it possible for humans to become, you know, to become mortal. So that it was a necessary step to take so that we could become a God. They believe that Christ's atonement secured immortality for every human being. That means whether you repent or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, your, your immortality is already secured for you. But that's not true, is it? Because the Bible makes it clear that there's nothing noble about what Adam and Eve did. None. And that is that it was not some stepping stone to become a God. The only thing that it brought was sin. It brought sin. It brought misery. It brought death. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrows and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. From dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. 
Over in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, we read, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered the, into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of them that was to come. Jesus atoned for the sins of the people who trust in him for salvation. Let me repeat that, because I don't think that it got through to you. Jesus atoned for the sins of the people who trust in him for salvation. There are many, many verses that tell us this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. And, and we like sheep have got, gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The next... Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to look that one up because I apparently did not type that one and I know that one's important. I have them all typed up on my screen. I have them all typed up on my screen here, all except for that one. When I do these podcast exclusives, I type all the verses out that I need. That's why I'm so quick at pulling them up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All right, then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 reads, Who has who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. First John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the proper proposition for our sins I probably pronounced that wrong but for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 herein is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the proposition for our sins now we're at the very last one today because like I said we're doing, we're doing eight of them eight you know, eight beliefs that we need to know about Mormons when they come knocking at our door, because they are coming more and more. In fact, um, one uh, one of my friends, uh, John, he's been coming over a lot, and and he talked about how for the longest time there were these Mormons that were that were trying to get him to come to temple with them. So let's look at what Mormons believe about salvation, because this is where me and John talked a lot. Because you'll, you'll also remember that we ended with something similar last time. The Mormons believe that God gives everyone salvation. It's a general salvation, but it's salvation. That they will enter immortal life in one of the heavenly kingdoms. Like I said, these things don't exist. But they believe that there are these three kingdoms. And this is what they mean when they say salvation by grace. Uh, okay, this is what they mean, because it's one of the things where you need to realize the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons both use similar words to us, but they mean something completely different. When the Mormons speak of salvation by grace, they believe Jesus is only necessary to obtain passage into that highest celestial kingdom. But you see, not only faith, no, 
they have to participate in temple rituals. They have to be obedient to the laws of the gospel. These are all prerequisites, okay? This is not what the Bible says, though, is it? In, in the Bible, salvation by grace is received through faith in Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. That's that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 11, verse 25 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John chapter 12, verse 46 I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That was hard to, 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 to say to, for us to grasp a hold of. Nothing you do will get you into heaven. Nothing. It's only through a, a free gift of God by believing in Jesus, not by you doing anything. Because like it says, not by works, lest any man should boast. That means if you were to be able to earn it, you'd be bragging about it, and then you would lose it again. The only thing that is promised to a true believer is eternal life in the presence of God. Look over at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain, attain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. It is where, it is, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Revelations chapter 21 verses 3 to 7. And I, heard, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell in it, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, just remember all these things, because Mormons will come to you, and, they, and, they, and like I said, they'll use similar language, but it means completely different things. And I hope that by doing these, these um, I've done about three or four now on Mormonism, that I was able to show you how to defend yourself against them, because Mormons will come at you with things like, it sounds similar, but it's not the same thing. All right? Um... I talk about them a lot. I've I've had them try and contact me on Facebook to, to convert me, and it just doesn't work. They get frustrated with me, and they block me because I, I know what they're saying. I know their tricks. It's, and, and I'm not blaming the person who comes to you because they're honest. They believe. They're a true believer in what they're, what they're coming to you with. They honestly believe they're helping you. 
I try when I deal with them to convince them of the opposite, to come to us. They get frustrated with me. And a lot of times, if you watch their face, you can tell. Go watch Ray, go watch Ray Comfort when he deals with them in his videos. Look up Living Waters and type in Mormonism. Watch, watch how he deals with them. You can watch their eyes. You can see that they've been so brainwashed by this stuff that they honestly believe it. And it, it confuses them and it scares them. So, um, I pray you've learned something here today. And again, guys... If you're able to help, share the share my GoFundMe or or um, if you're able to help, donate. If not, you know, try to share it so somebody who can help can see it. Because um, I'm really con I'm really concerned about the next few months. I tr I'm trusting in God to help me. Um, I just I'm sharing this GoFundMe in hopes that someone else can help as well. Because God will send people to help you. And someone out there is I believe God has already put it on their heart to help me. They're trying to find me. So thank you all. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep each and every one of you. This one went kinda long today, didn't it? So thank you all. God bless you and I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to Sermons in the Park with Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, BitChute, and Rumble. And as always, thank you for listening. There's joy for the morning, sinner be still. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. So lay down